1: Good morning. This is the Lois J. Wetzel Show, and I'm your host and executive producer, Lois Wetzel, coming to you live this morning from 9 a.m. Houston, Texas, Central Time. I want to remind you to register for Blog Talk Radio. It's free, and if you do that, you can rate my show, mark it as a favorite, and let people know that you were here and listening to my show. You can get reminders of upcoming shows. It's all free. My call-in number is 347-945-5309. You can call using the telephone or Skype. You can listen on your phone or your computer. If you're calling in and you want to ask a question, just hit the number 1 and I'll know that you would like to ask a question. I also want to remind you that I offer a free email newsletter about metaphysics. Spirituality, the coming changes, all the kinds of things we talk about here on this show. I've been sending this newsletter out for about 12 years, and to sign up for that, you would go to my website, hotpinklotus.com. I do not share email addresses with anyone because your privacy is important. Good morning. Today, I have the honor of speaking with Dr. Ingrid Naumann, world-class herbologist who has more blogs and websites for educational purposes than you can imagine. Among them is KitchenDoctor.com, also Sacred Medicine at Sacred-Medicine.org, and most recently ZeroRads.com. She will talk with us today about which herbs can be used to help the body fight radiation exposure in the aftermath of the tsunami in Japan and the failure of the nuclear power plants. There's an above-average interest in herbs for this purpose. So without any further ado, I'm going to dial her on the phone. Just give me a second to do this. Okay. Now we're dialing. Hmm. Well, let's try that again. It seems to have failed. Sometimes it takes a couple of tries to get somebody on the phone this way, dialing through the switchboard. Here we go. That sounds better. Lois. Yes. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. Uh-huh. I'm glad that worked. Is it clear. Yes, it's quite clear actually and we're on the air. I'm so, so happy hard. to have you here. I've been following your blogs and your newsletters for such a long time and, and uh first got interested about I don't know, fifteen or maybe more years ago, uh, about the cancer salves and um have been just absolutely fascinated with your work and with and just totally impressed with your devotion to teaching, which is uh, something I admire very much as people who are devoted to teaching, probably because I think it's so important. I also want you to know that I sent a link to uh, your Japanese version of Zero Rads to some um, friends in Japan, and they're very excited. I sent it yesterday. So they're forwarding it to a lot of their friends. So you want to talk to us about which herbs people can use uh, to mitigate the effects of radiation exposure?
0: Well, that's kind of jumping in feet first, isn't it? Uh
1: Where do you want to start?
0: Uh, yeah. Uh, the the I had a dream last night. Can I tell you my dream and Oh, was please. To try to I love that. What the real problem with radiation is.
1: Yeah. And that was
0: if you're um building a house mm-hmm. and you uh set a foundation and you put in some rebar and cement and then you put up your uh posts and you start nailing things together. Now, suppose some mason comes over and says, I'm going to have some fun with this builder. I'm going to remove some nails here and there, and, and then we'll see what happens. And I'm going to start with the window, and I'm going to take out all the nails that are holding the window in
1: place. Ingrid, well, we're having some problems with the connectivity with the phone. Your voice is kind of wavering. Is there? Are you on a portable phone? Maybe.
0: I I feel better time on the VOP. If it, I know you don't trust it, but it actually yeah, and,
1: it's really giving bad sound quality. Um, because your it, voice is it, like I, coming through like brrr, like that. Is there huh. another possibility? Can, can mm-hmm. you
0: call me on a different line?
1: Um, yeah, I sure can. Uh,
0: try. Is this on the air where everybody can hear my yeah, number? Yeah, it is on the
1: air. Yeah, <laughs> <it is unfortunately.
0: laughs>
1: um, you want to email me that number?
0: Yeah, yeah. Okay.
1: Yeah, email it to me, and then we'll just, okay. um, I'll dial you from that number.
0: There
1: we go Okay And it'll just take me a second to get that Because then we'd have a recording of the voice going (laughs) You know, like with a distinct quaver I haven't received it yet, but just hang on Don't
0: you love it when Mercury's retrograde?
1: Yeah, it's such fun.
0: <laughs> oh, I know what the problem is. What? Uh, I can't have both of these phones working on the same line. Uh, they're competing with each other. Yeah, um, let me disconnect this one completely, and then, okay. and then you call me on the other. Okay.
1: Okay, you're talking about the one that ends with 7-7, seven, seven, I hope. Okay, let's try that again. Yes, Mercury Retrograde is more fun than a barrel of monkey's. It's a great time to learn new things, though. Hello? Man, we are having some mercury retrograde problems, aren't we? Okay, not sure what to do. Okay, Ingrid, if you can hear me via the computer, the dial-in number, and you can just call me, is... um, Let's see, where'd go? 347-945-5309. So if you can call me, that will work, but the number I'm calling you on is not working. The one that you gave me in the email yesterday. Let me try that one more time. Giving up. I'm going to email her and tell her this number. We'll see if that works. just try dialing her on the number she gave me again. Sorry you're having to listen to a lot of silence. Eventually we'll get on the phone here with her. The number you have reached is not in service. Hmm. This is a recording. Two, five. All right, here we go. <laughs> Hang on a second. Ingrid, I was just getting ready to call, open up the line to you. Can you call back? 347 945 5309. Four seven nine four five five three zero nine. Okay. Why, Mercury is really playing with us today. Anyway, what we're going to talk about is herbs and how radiation affects the body and how the herbs can counter that effect. Just as soon as we can get these telephone snafus worked out. You know, mercury affects uh, travel. It also affects um, communications and computers and things like that. so this is what's going on today. Okay, let's see if I'm seeing a new caller. I just don't know if that's Ingrid or not. Yeah, here we go. Hi, Mm -hmm. Ingrid. Can you hear me? Can you hear hear me? surprised me. You called by a number I didn't uh, recognize. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Okay. uh, So So you were building building this house. Pardon? You were building a house.
0: Yeah, we were building this house and then this. a little mischievous person came and started removing nails. And we're expecting the house to stand up despite all this missing uh, uh, normal building material. And that's what happens with radiation. Essentially, you've got uh, every cell in the body very neatly connected the way it's supposed to be connected and then the radiation comes in, and it breaks up these connections. And it does that because it itself is unstable, and it's electron-hungry. And so really what you're, what you're, you're trying to do when, when you're exposed to a risk like that is provide uh, herbs and food that are so electron-rich that they can spare these extra electrons, and uh, and not be damaged in the process of giving up electrons. And that's what an antioxidant is. An mm-hmm. antioxidant somehow is able to uh, give away enough electrons that uh, it will stabilize an unstable situation and at the same time it's no worse for having done that. And and once you understand radiation in that way, you are much less afraid of it. Which is yeah. not to say that you could jump in feet first in the uh, coolants in the reactors and expect to live through it. There were some people in Chernobyl who did that. Two men were trying to open a valve and like manually, and yeah. because all the Equipment wasn't working properly, and so they they went swimming in this and you know that's not how you survive nuclear radiation uh but but if one just has a casual exposure to it not an intense exposure, but what most most of us have are going to have some kind of casual exposure. And so what we need is uh, a lot of foods that are are very, very high in in two particular properties. One is antioxidants and the other is flavonoids. And they probably go hand in hand sometimes, not always, but sometimes. Uh, And I'm not saying that if people have multiple risk factors that this is going to be enough. But let, let's say someone is smoking, and they think, well, I'm not going to stop smoking just because there's some problem in Fukushima. Uh, well, probably if they ever considered that they should stop smoking now is a really good time. Mm-hmm. And if they have uh, some other risk factors, let's say that they work in chemical plants or um Offices where they have a lot of copy machines or humans like paint stores or um, it's a dry cleaning places. Mm-hmm. This is this is so um, insulting to the body that they they really need to consider whether they can tolerate both the radiation and their normal way of making a living. They might not work together very well at this point. Uh, but for for the majority of people who are reasonably healthy, who eat decent food, uh, if they just enrich their, their diet, I'm pretty convinced by the research I've done that they're going to be all right. Uh, which is not saying we don't have a disaster we have a disaster we have an environmental yeah. disaster the the radiation is going to get into the food chain it already is in some places um i don't know how the strontium is appearing in moscow that's i mean it's quite heavy so it's got. what is appearing
1: of, what is it that's appearing in moscow strontium oh and
0: it's uh, we expected the, the lighter um, radioactive materials like iodine and cesium to be carried by the winds, but personally I expected most of the strontium and uranium to stay put right near the reactor site itself. And because They're so heavy that uh, the, the, the amount of explosive force must have pushed them up very high. And so we're not being told exactly how much hydrogen explosive material there was. But nobody can really predict what's going to travel how or how long it's going to take to precipitate. What we're learning as we're all becoming uh, more aware of radiation is that some of the fallout from the nuclear testing in Nevada has not precipitated yet.
1: It's oh my gosh!
0: Yeah, so we're, this is a very long-term situation, and uh, everybody who is environmentally conscious needs to make a commitment to planting uh, uh, garden and farm uh, plants that will remediate this, bind the radioactive substances in the the soil. And there are certain microorganisms that will support this. And the interesting thing is that they're all uh, dark in color. They have an enormously high melanin content just to be able to do this work. So they're getting this uh, radioprotective property from the melanin. So the first sign of life in uh, Chernobyl after that accident it was a kind of slimy fungus hmm. inside the reactor itself, a, a very uh, awful-looking black fungus. And I, I think we're, we're... We're none of us really as much up to speed on radiation as we need to be. What what I'm learning, this might appeal to you in your shenomic capacity, is that, uh, that all uranium apparently... Uh, came from supernovas.
1: Came from and what?
0: So supernovas. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wow. And, and so, yeah, so So what has happened is that in the process of creating the earth, uh, this material from the supernovas was, was apparently used to build the earth, and most of it concentrated in the core of the earth, but initially the earth was too radioactive to support life. And then various forms of bacteria and fungi began to break down some of this uh, radioactivity, bind it in a way that allowed for the development of a wider variety of life forms. And so this has been going on for what four and a half billion years, something like that. And, and here we are today, making the Earth less habitable than nature wanted it to be. We're going the opposite direction. We're we're uh, we're causing more radioactivity instead of letting it reduce naturally as it would, because the radioactivity is part of the decay. So if you think of some fruit on your kitchen counter that's going bad on you, it starts to smell. And that mm-hmm. odor is is its radiation, so to speak. So the, the uranium, when it's breaking down, is releasing... Uh, it actually, it, it, it's releasing a, a particulate uh, that's, that makes it more stable once it releases this alpha particle, then it becomes something else, which is slightly more stable than the uranium, which it becomes thorium. But uh, it, it, it's all a process of, of decay, but we're talking about some substances now that have a decay of millions, uh, billions of years Uh Not all of them uh radioactive iodine is just over what, seven, eight days, something like that. So what I've been – I expected that the Japanese would have had this situation under control by now and that from the moment there was no further release into the environment, we wouldn't have to worry about iodine uh, after about a month. Yet. I guess I worded that a little bit strangely. Because it has such a short half-life, our thyroid risk would be gone a month after Fukushima's stopped releasing more radiation into the environment. Mm -hmm. The initial preparation that people were doing, and many are still doing, is to increase their iodine intake. Uh, which essentially says, I have so much iodine in my body, I don't need any more, so I'm not going to absorb this radioactive iodine. And right. there's there's there are no more starch depots in the body. It's a theory, and uh, I don't think it, the theory is perfect in the event that someone were to inhale or ingest it. Um, so the, the the issue is still that some people are going to uh, excrete it or metabolize it or somehow deal with it much more efficiently than others. And that's what everybody needs to, everyone really needs to think about now because we're going to be living with this challenge for at least a century. It's, I mean, this is an irrevocable challenge now. I spent a lot of time in Europe. Uh, and th- people are still talking about Chernobyl. It was 25 years ago. Yeah. And exactly. there, there are farms in England that cannot sell any of their produce and will not be able to sell their produce for at least another 75 years S- simply because of an accident that took place thousands of
1: miles away. Hmm. But they just happen to be in the plume.
0: That's exactly right, but the meaning the, the wind Shema is so much greater than from Chernobyl.
1: Yeah.
0: So and have
1: they planted things in those farms that those dark leafy things that you were talking about that, that will lock that stuff in the soil or
0: a lot of those experiments have been done in uh the area uh, immediately surrounding Chernobyl uh,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and Germany, of course, which is uh, very proactive on uh, this subject. And yeah. we don't know a fraction as much as we need to. There's some very large corporations involved, DuPont, for example, that's
1: mm-hmm. uh,
0: using sunflower. They're actually floating sunflower plants onto radioactive bodies of water, and within 24 hours, the roots of the sunflower can absorb enough radiation to purify the water, but then the
1: wow.
0: the roots of the stalk of the sunflower have to be disposed of as hazardous waste. Yeah. And so naturally, because of the power of the nuclear industry and so on, they're people trying to think, well, how can we uh, harvest the uranium that we want to use in our next reactor, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Oh,
0: we will never learn. We're very slow. Yeah.
1: Well, I, I think we'll <laughs> learn. I think it takes incidents like this, but I I hold the, the belief and the hope that we will learn. And uh, so... What what do we do now in terms of of creating that safe space for ourselves and our families personally in terms of what should we be ingesting right now to to fill in those gaps that um, you were speaking of where the nails are removed? Yeah. Um interestingly,
0: uh beats are very high on the list. I could sort of make this a little simpler when I was first getting into Health and Nutrition, I read something that it was suspected that whatever it was that made beets red in color was a free radical scavenger, a hydroxyl free radical scavenger. And hydroxyl free radicals are um, pretty serious. And uh, it's now becoming clear that almost all plants that have that reddish color or purplish color are way superior in terms of their ability to scavenge the free radicals. So, for example, in working with uh, my Japanese colleague and uh, translator, uh, Dr. Yuri Hiranuma, uh, we're trying to urge Japanese people to eat black rice instead of white rice.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. And it's actually been studied to show... That it is more radio protective. Um,
1: Isn't that black rice kind of purplish? Yeah,
0: yeah, and, and the same with like black turtle beans or black beans, uh-huh. uh, or purple potatoes. Uh, all of them have the, uh, m- m- more flavonoids and. Uh, more free radical scavenging ability. So there's simple dietary uh, changes that are going to be supportive of getting through this with fewer consequences. What, what also happens besides the free radicals is that the free radicals are themselves a source of instability in our own personal chemistry. And because they are like the radioactive materials in that they are unstable and want to, therefore, pirate some electrons from somewhere. Involuntary donors in some cases. It sets off a chain reaction of deterioration of our our tissue structure. And... So, in my involvement, you mentioned that when you were first introducing me on cancer, there are countless herbs that help to repair uh, tissue damage, that help to repair even damaged DNA. And uh, one of the most interesting ones is burdock. And when I was doing the research for my cancer book and analyzing all the formulas going back literally. 2,500 years, but but more specifically starting with Hildegard of Bingham, burdock was the one herb that appeared in every major successful formula. Otherwise, every wow. formula was was quite different. And hmm. both the Japanese and Hungarians have researched it really well. And the Japanese call it the B factor. They, they gave it that name as a sort of, Respect for the power of this herb to reverse mutations in cells. Wow. And uh, burdock is perfectly edible. I have it growing in my yard. I harvested some last year and made some uh, delicious, I don't know what you call it, cutlets. They're sort of like a potato pancake, except that they're made with burdock instead. Mm-hmm. Um, Last night I made a stir fry and another very interesting uh herb that I'm I'm going to be writing about soon on com is um Mista. it's um cypress rotundus is the botanical name and uh, this was regarded as um a food for people going through famine like
1: in Africa Wow, what's the name um, of that one again? What's what's the common uh, name and the Latin name?
0: Well, the the Sanskrit name is um, Musta, and uh, it's, it's Cypress rotundus, and uh, it's a weed, an invasive weed, like so many things that we don't like. Nature. Has an instinct to balance itself. So, so yeah. when we're using all these harsh chemicals in our um, gardening or uh, farming, uh, we're destroying the soil. We're burning. We're burning all the organisms in the soil that would stabilize the soil, and so you have plants that volunteer to fix it. And it's very interesting if you're into permaculture that the, the weeds disappear on their own once they've done their work. You can be out there weeding on your hands and knees year after year after year, but once you change your gardening practices and stop using the chemicals, then uh, the the weeds will say, okay, now I've finished my work. I'm going to let something else grow. Wow. When I first got into this, I I, I mean, I was a city person. I wasn't observant of these things. And I I looked at the dandelions in my yard and my neighbors sent me a subdivision where we have rules and they said that these fuzzy-looking white things in my yard weren't acceptable. And I said, oh, gosh, but I'm starting to love them now that I understand them. And after getting that letter from the Homeowners Association, I went on a a little drive, and I looked out of the window of the car, and every place I saw dandelions growing was a place that had a lot of car exhaust or um, where they spray the sides of the roads from trucks that are passing by, and the dandelions are trying to repair that, and they do the same thing in our body. It's a major detoxifying herb. And once we're detoxified, we don't need the dandelions anymore. And they'll just sort of quietly release their space to something that we appreciate more, right? But if you're an herbalist, really appreciate dandelions. But, yeah. but the sexist uh you find it in uh, areas that are not very... Uh, last year you know, the soil isn't very good quality and this is true of a lot of radiation herbs um, that they they like to grow in depleted soils or uh, swamps or uh, marshy areas places where there's a lot of toxic runoff or savage things can happen. I, I'm intrigued because I did a meditation in uh, Nevada when I was... I, get, I just was heartbroken when I was there. I felt like the the sand had been sterilized by all of the nuclear testing. And then as I started to adjust to this landscape, I saw these yucca trees. And, and they're... I haven't seen any studies to prove this, but I'm hypothesizing based on the other studies that I've done that because they're very um, sort of sudsy, because of the saponins, Mm
1: -hmm. that
0: that moisture has helped them to survive the dryness that is caused by exposure to radioactive material. And every single tree was different. And they just didn't didn't look even exactly like they belonged to the same family. Like they could all be just a little unrelated. And and I thought, well, you know, they they each made their own adaptive effort, and they survived. And the 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 survivor in Japan was Ginko, right at ground zero. There were Ginko. Ginkgo trees, this very wow. tree that that uh, has been cultivated in Chinese and Japanese monasteries for thousands of years. It's it's one of the oldest trees on Earth. They it's actually referred to in um, um, botany books as a living fossil, and it, it has no relatives. It's a family all of its own, and uh, very slow-growing. Once it establishes itself, it lives for thousands of years. But right in Hiroshima itself, in Ground Zero, within, well, let's say a a mile or so of of the
1: blast, there were four Ginkgo trees that survived. That's just mind-boggling.
0: Yeah, it is. It really is. When you think of it, because nothing else survived. Buildings didn't survive, and uh, as we remember from the shocking pictures that we saw, they it, it, people just dematerialized. You, know, you saw shadows of where they had been, but, but there was there was nothing else. Um, and then, as you you went further out from Ground Zero there were different levels of survival. But um, but the fact that the ginkgo survived is utterly amazing. And so what happened, I guess, I don't know how people come to decide what they're going to try when they're faced with a survival issue, but the Chernobyl workers were given an extract of ginkgo to protect them while they were doing what the, they were called liquidators. And it's very different how they organized in Chernobyl compared to Japan. Um, there were 800,000 liquidators in Chernobyl, and they had very short shifts. They might have 45 seconds or, you know, two minutes at work, and then they were out of there. That was it. And in Japan, they're using a, just a, a handful well so were more than a handful, 300 Workers more or less on, on suicide missions. Um, hmm. Yeah, you know, the, the the odds of those people surviving are very very low.
1: That's a uh, that's a cultural difference, you know, because uh, I suspect they know they won't survive, and they're doing it on behalf of the collective. Is you know, just, I,
0: don't you I think? Tried to, Yes, well, I think that it's, um, you know, it's a sacrifice that they're making based partly on social pressure probably and partly on maybe their concern for others, but they know that the odds are against them. But... We have been totally unsuccessful trying to send anything like ginkgo uh, or any other radio protective herb to them. We just can't get it through the bureaucracy. We've tried so many different avenues.
1: That's amazing.
0: Yeah. yeah.
1: I, I don't under that part. I don't understand. That's the it's, part I
0: forget. Yeah, it's very hard to. Um, Imagine the level of chaos. Chernobyl was one incident in an otherwise stable stable situation, but here you you had a tsunami and an earthquake and uh, and thousands of people who died and
1: uh, they're overwhelmed. They have been
0: evacuated and. the, the whole societal infrastructure is being disrupted.
1: Yeah. So the proportion was, of the disruption is much greater in Japan than it was in Russia.
0: Yes, and and, and there's a different um, approach to decision making. Uh, I'm not in a position to, to judge anything. I I was in Vietnam during the Tet offensive and one of my assignments was to go around to all the various government ministries to determine what the level of uh, capacity was, you know, could they function or not. And I wrote a report so about one person that showed up for work here, and two people here, I the well, Ministry of Finance, Central Bank, Ministry of Foreign Affairs, you know all of these different government offices, and practically nobody was there, and they weren't working. Those who were there were just talking about you know what what a horrible situation it was. and they were all worried about family members that they hadn't been able to make contact with and so you you have a collapse of your capacity to function as a government. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, we don't have any idea the magnitude of that collapse in Japan. Uh, everyone's impacted because the the winds didn't just move straight out to the sea. They went some very peculiar directions. Korea's been hit. And, uh, so, uh, something's happening that there's blowback and it's It's very got to be
1: really overwhelming To the populace period And yeah. I've, sure. I've heard that Some people are leaving And that sort of thing um, Yeah so. But where do you go I mean you could go to the southern hemisphere Perhaps
0: but the northern hemisphere's going to have to deal with this problem Right and and uh, of course, what we're seeing is this is one complex of reactors, and there are four or five hundred other nuclear plants in the world. And
1: yeah, and I think a lot of, of people inventions. are taking a lot of people are taking a second look at all of that too.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: and. Um, I think we're going to see a lot of changes in this country. I don't I don't know about other countries, but I think there are going to be a lot of changes in this country about um, preparing for more than we expected was possible because that's what happened to the Japanese. They had prepared for what they thought was the maximum possible natural disaster, and they were surprised that something worse could happen. So sure. I think that uh, my take on it is that people are re-examining the whole idea of nuclear reactors and you know are they on a fault line and well
0: you know it? that's the tip of the iceberg the, the the really stupid thing about nuclear power is that the plants have a life expectancy of 40 or 50 years and after that what do we do with the waste and So against the backdrop of the age of the planet, this is really silly. And you take, what, four and a half billion years to get to where we are now and that we're going to create this much of an environmental crisis in half a century simply because we want to create energy through uh, splitting atoms.
1: And uh, it's it's a learning curve for humanity. It's what it is. Yeah, and I saw this. Sorry? It's a learning curve, and I think mm-hmm. uh, the thing that gives me hope is that human knowledge is doubling at a very uh, exponentially increasing rate and it's uh, every few months now is the way that I understand it. So I suspect we're going to have some technology very shortly that we didn't even think was possible. But I do uh, totally feel like we're going to come up with new energy uh, technologies that will allow us to retire those nuclear power plants and rue the day they were ever built. Right. Because it's clearly a mistake to me.
0: Right. Uh I'm going to tell a couple of stories out of school. I had a friend that worked at Los Alamos Labs. I used to live in Santa Fe. so I was there when there was this huge fire. And all the environmental people were trying to figure out how much nuclear material was stored there and all the initial government reports. So we're not uh, involved in any kind of nuclear research at this point of what? you know, who's supposed to believe this kind of press release? And it took them more than a month to organize their uh, tours for journalists, and you were supposed to look straight ahead and not see things that you weren't supposed to see. But there were a few people whose cameras turned, and they found that a whole lot of the nuclear material was stored above ground, in 55-gallon barrels or trenches, and none of it was being disposed of properly. And the amount was staggering. We're talking tens of thousands of barrels. And if you then start thinking, well, what what's going to happen to all of this material? We're producing it on a staggering scale. We, 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 what's going to happen? I think for those people who are reactive to this disaster is not just that they'll be anti-nuclear, but that they're going to be pro-environment and realize that. Yeah. If we want to stay on this planet, we're going to have to harmonize with nature. It's
1: a wake-up call for sure. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. I want to, before we run out of time, I want to summarize again, for people, what they can do to protect themselves, which is eat purple stuff and dark red stuff like beets. Should this be eaten in burdock? Should this be in ginkgo? Now, should these things be eaten raw? Say, is beet juice going to be raw beet juice going to be more effective than, say, pickled beets or cooked beets?
0: Uh, From what I'm reading, uh, the cooking did not cause a deterioration in the uh, value and uh-huh. there there are not too many studies here, so uh, I'm I'm just combing through them one after another, and, uh, and most of the ones that I've seen uh, suggest that cooking is okay. And uh, cool. one of the most interesting um, sort of uh, realizations that I have in my life is. That how well prepared I was to take a position here, because for the last two years, I had been uh researching longevity therapies uh from India, and I got uh, heavily involved in uh, a rejuvenative um program called Kayakalpa and Kayakalpa, traditionally not the popular version, but uh traditionally one. went into darkness for 40 days and had a very specific diet of food and herbs, after which one appeared as 30, 35 years of age. So I Hmm. found the the formulas that were used. A colleague of mine uh, found some that were used in recent times, and I found the historic ones. And then I started studying each individual herb. So now when I go to the um, PubMed website to to see how they're conducting the radiation studies, I'm finding the same list of herbs that were in the rejuvenative tonics from India, including Charlin Prash. So the research is, in fact, mostly being done in India. There are a few odds and ends of research from Japan, Korea, and, and um Europe, uh, but I would say 80 to 85% of the studies are done not only in India, but it, of herbs that are traditional in Ayurvedic and Sita medicine. Mm-hmm. And uh, these are cooked, and they're cooked and cooked and cooked. When you're making on the the uh, fruit itself, amla, it's a, a tropical gooseberry, Is cooked over a brew of thirty-five herbs. Uh, The the berries are actually in a muslin bag, but they're suspended in the liquid. And then, after they're cooked, the seeds are removed, Uh, and and then some more spices are added and and um, minerals. And the minerals that are added are often. Um, toxic like arsenic and mercury and so I got very curious about how can they use these to regenerate and uh, I got heavily into Indian alchemy and what they're doing with mercury for example is grinding it and uh, heating it and then mixing it with lemon juice, and then they're heating it again and mixing it with um turmeric and this goes on for years there are stages and stages of the process of purification and What must be happening is that the mercury gives up these gives up its instability that has to be the secret that once it's surrendered its instability, it's no longer toxic. Mm-hmm.
1: That makes sense. Yeah,
0: yeah. I I, I tried to, to find different ways to explain this to people who haven't had uh, a jump start the way I have, and uh, one of them was um, um, snake venom. I don't know if you've heard about a treatment where you, you just, Give yourself a shock, or give the person who's been bitten uh, a shock. Of a, so like a car company? battery or a portable battery. A lot of people that are uh, in the bush and are at very high risk of snake bites carry these, and it's just a way of shocking. That the the moment they've given themselves that shock, the venom ceases to be toxic. Wow. Yeah, so but, we we have to re how so much we don't why know. something is toxic to us. Yeah, because it isn't, It's it's only toxic if our reaction to it, it is uncomfortable in some way. Yeah, if if we accommodate it, it ceases to be a threat to us. And I'm afraid that that many of us are going to find that we've got a very steep learning curve here. We're going to have to learn to get along with radioactivity. And we'll we'll we'll, we'll figure it out. We'll do it. In the meantime, what I'm doing personally, and I think this is uh, again just you know, sort of helping people to take their first step, is I am going to plant sunflower. And the seeds are still edible. I have birds. I have uh, three parrots. And uh, everything I've read is that you, you have to be very careful how you dispose of the, the roots and the stock, but you don't want to compost them and then use them on your spinach, that's what I'd say. No. You know, put it, put it, <laughs> I guess more. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and uh, so and we'll have to just allow the earth itself to reabsorb the chemicals, and then maybe there's some plant. Uh, that is able to break down the stalks of the sunflower, and a little more. Um,
1: I'll bet you that it's a fungus.
0: Yeah, it's, it, there are some bacteria and, and um, that we know for sure will work, and there are also, I'm sure, various kinds of fungi that are going to be uh, useful. I happen to be very allergic to mold, not to use, but to mold. And uh, so I'm, I'm not going to run those experiments. I'll leave that to Paul Stamets. Um, but, but one of the most interesting uh, plants for me right now is sea buckthorn. I planted it a couple of weeks ago. Um, this is um, grown in the Himalayas. Uh, and... Uh, I I think some of the sources come from Mongolia and uh, Lithuania and Israel, Hmm. Uh, but it it actually likes the cold, so I don't know where Israel is growing it, but uh, it's first mentioned in Tibetan medical texts about 800 years ago, Mm -hmm. and... uh, it's, it's a berry, beautiful, beautiful berry with uh, orange fruit, it. but it, it it can be quite big, like um, 30 feet tall, uh, and very, very sour with a little bit of astringency. So that's what I learned in my studies with Chai trash is that the amla that also has that sourness with the astringency, and it's the astringency... That apparently gives it its stability. That you know, most vitamin C is very unstable, and when you've got that astringency there, it, it binds it so that the chaiwan crush actually has a shelf life of about 100 years. And I need mean so to I let you know that
1: we've said. only got about two minutes left. Um, okay. So, so uh, is there any particular thing you want to be sure people know? Why don't we yeah, tell them about your website?
0: To see Sea Buckthorn because it's a buckthorn. very Okay. See, it's a very fine radio protective herb. You're not going to get a harvest for a while, but the the other side of that is nobody's going to get cancer tomorrow. You know, if this yeah. radioactivity predisposes people to developing cancer, it's going to be down the road, way down the
1: road. Right. Except and po- what about all to lock children? Up? What about Phytolaca Americana? How about people plant some yeah. of that? Um,
0: I haven't seen studies on that as much as I have on uh, Mayapple. There's a Himalayan um, Mayapple that's uh, way more toxic than the American one. Um, mm-hmm. and uh, it, But it's, it, it's an herb that has to be used extremely carefully. And mm-hmm. you know we're all just at the very beginning here, and yeah. so I'm seeing that I'm pulling together a team of people. It's going to take us a year to get all of our information organized and presented. And in the meantime, I just say subscribe to zerorads.com because we're going to be posting things as we're uh, as our confidence level goes up.
1: Okay, let's and, spell that for everybody. That's Z-E-R-O-R-A-D is in dog, S, dot com, Zerorads.com. Right. And uh, if you want to learn more about what Ingrid's doing, she you can go there and then follow the trail to many of her other websites where she has put out just tons of information that you really can't find anywhere else. She's, uh, as you may have noticed, a really brilliant herbalist, And she has given very unselfishly of her time today, and I want to say thank you very much, Ingrid, for being with us today.
0: Hey, it's been a pleasure. Thanks so much for having me.
1: Okay, bye-bye. Okay, I want to remind you that I uh, have a free um, newsletter on my website, hotpinklotus.com, and you can sign up for it. I've been sending it out for about 12 years also if you are in the area in the Houston area uh, save the date May 12th I'm having a book signing of my book Occasion Records: Case Studies of Past Lives May 12th 7pm at Body Mind and Soul Bookstore Body Mind and Soul thank you for being with us today and come see us next week at 9am when I'll be talking channel, Joan Walker, who channeled the Ascended Master, Kudumi, and Archangel Gabriel. And she's always a very fascinating um, guest. So I do hope to join us next week. Have a blessed day. A blessed week. And a blessed life. Remember, focus on what you want, not on what you don't want.